Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Hey, hey, happy Tuesday. Did you get outside? Did you enjoy some of the sunshine? It, it was a beautiful day. Look, there's going to be more. There's, there's going to be, oh, I'm too hot. I'm coming in hot. All right. How, how am I coming in hot? Uh, down here? What? Oh, the camera is pointing. <laughs> like, it's the camera. I don't know. If it's the audio. If it's, uh, is that better? If I, if I just scrunch down. How about if we put this up? We're doing our uh, some of the tech uh, work here to uh, align camera, audio, all the things. I'll turn my, my microphone back up. There we go. Uh, it was a beautiful day. Sunshine and uh, just warm. And it, it does feel wrong. I have to admit, it just, it feels like it shouldn't, we know it's not supposed to be happening. It feels off. Our bodies can't adjust. Uh, and I also, uh, I, I know that Dr. Bosell yesterday told us that uh, allergy season is always really bad, but I think the hot, the cold, the hot, the cold, the warm, the cold, the chilly, turning the heat on. Uh, and, I'm, and I did mention, I thought my husband was going to turn on the air conditioning yesterday. He did. Because uh, we are uh, allergy sufferers in our house, and uh, our sinuses are just all over the place, so we can't open the windows and enjoy the warmth. However, I think you, many of you, are already seeing the uh, shift in the weather. And uh, according to my good friend Jerry Walski, co-producer on the show and collaborator, pointed out that we are going to be having. Uh, so we're going from about seventy-four degrees or so. Uh, we're going to have ninety mile uh, an hour winds tonight. Not, is it right? 90 miles an hour? Maybe it wasn't what I saw. I saw aggressive winds tonight. Okay. Uh, it is. Let's see. We Okay, here's what uh, Skilling is reporting. Storms are expected to develop through from 4.30 to 6 p.m. Destructive hail and damaging winds will be the primary threats with the main tornado threat to evolve after 6 p.m. What? I don't like any of this. So, yeah, I believe I was right on the first time I said they were going to be extreme. Oh, up to 60 miles an hour. I, I apologize, folks. I inverted my numbers, but up to 60 mile an hour winds. It looks like a lot of it is going south of um, south of Chicago. So those of you living in Dixon, Ottawa, Joliet, uh, up in DeKalb as well, down at, down at Kankakee um, and through to Valparaiso. And that looks like it also includes uh, Gary, Indiana, parts of northwest Indiana. Uh, so I would uh, pay attention, stay keyed into your uh, weather alerts and uh, make sure that you are vigilant about any sort of alarms that go off, please. Because this, when the weather shifts this quickly, it does, uh, I don't even remember, I was thinking about this back in the late 90s. I want to say like 1999, actually, that's how late the 90s. There was a, I was in grad school at the time. Funny, I was just talking to Mark Pinsky, our station manager, about going to grad school at UIC. And we, we, even before everyone had cell phones and had weather alerts on your phone, we were talking about how, and I'm pretty sure it was skilling that told us how quickly the weather was going to change. And it happened all in the course of a day. It started out bright and sunshine and warm. And then it was shifting the winds. And I believe a building, like a roof collapsed that day because of the sudden changes in pressure. So please be aware, uh, be vigilant, and uh, take 
uh, a heed if you hear alarms going off. Find out what is going on. I know we were here last year when there were storms going off. If you remember, there were folks that had to seek shelter in the tunnels, like the sea terminal at O'Hare Airport by United, anywhere they could get shelter. Uh, and then a week later, I was laughing at that because I was like, oh, it was last August uh, or July because I they showed pictures of everyone – uh, getting down to the uh, seeking shelter down in that uh, the, the moving walkways and the lit up ceilings. And I thought, man, it would suck to be there. And then a week later, I was down there. So uh, please uh, be careful today in, in the event that uh, severe weather heads your way. Uh, but I did enjoy the sunshine. It's going to get warm again. But for tonight, uh, it exa- again, it seems as though skilling is trying to get uh, all the... Uh, <laughs> all the seasons in on his last evening before he retires. So cramming it all in. Um, I believe the temperatures are going to be up back up to 70 again. This doesn't feel right, uh, but I I have to admit it feels good. I think that we can say that, right? It doesn't feel right, but it does feel good. I enjoyed the sunshine on my face today. And uh, let's see, we've got, uh, I'm going to check the weather for the rest of the day. Um, Yes, it's going to drop down to 26, 25 degrees tonight. So we are going to go from a high of 74 down to 25 degrees overnight. By tomorrow morning, it'll still be 26 when you leave the house. And we'll get some sunshine all day. It'll just be in the low 30s. Yes, I decided to do a weather report. I know we get at the tops and the bottoms, but this is fascinating when the weather changes this quickly. And then by Sunday, it will be 70 degrees again. So there you go. It'll it'll feel wrong and good. <laughs> it's like I have so many jokes in my head like about relationships I had in, my, in college. How's that? We'll leave it at that. Uh, speaking of relationships that are uh, perhaps not under the best judgment, you see, I'm going to go right to Georgia. I'm going to go right to Fonnie Willis. I watched today uh, for in the background. I was listening to um, some of the coverage of they were they were uh, interrogating. I guess how do you say it? they were questioning. Um, her, the attorney Wade, I can't remember his first name, but uh, the woman that Fannie Willis had an affair with uh, during his his uh, relationship with Fannie Willis, he apparently confided in his, I guess reasonably so, perhaps his divorce attorney who took the stand today because he had been talking to Trump's lawyers um, while they were collecting information and evidence and apparently exchanging texts with them. Uh, he was being asked uh, questions along the lines of when do you think their relationship started? Uh, there was one point where one of the attorneys asked, you know, I sent you basically what I'm going to submit and I asked you to go over it and verify that the information was correct. You texted back. Absolutely. There was a little back and forth. Uh, I, I was getting anxiety just listening to this uh, because in te- so if they're going to go off of if the if Trump's team Based their entire thing on this guy's testimony, not testimony, but their exchanges with him. Uh, and now in court, he is saying, uh, I don't know specifically when their relationship started. Um, Wade only spoke to me on this one occasion at our office. Uh, and, and I think that he, he he carried himself well. It does seem that he might be a bit of a gossip uh, because maybe he was excited to be talking to Trump's attorneys and thinking he had a role in this. I, I don't know if he felt like he wanted to hurt somebody by sharing information that turned out to be what he said today in court and uh, previously says now that uh, under oath that he was speculating about when their relationship started. Was it back in 2019? But for me, what was making me anxious is I've been in situations and it has included lawyers over texts. Uh, 
um, I had someone, I don't know how much detail to go into this, but I will say texting with somebody, if you're not, if you're kind of like not paying attention or, uh, let me put it this way. I had someone text me, uh, Hey, remember that favor somebody asked me for? And I have this terrible habit sometimes of thinking that I have a vague idea. Like my husband actually does this. You know what? I'll even say this. Sometimes I'll we'll, we'll be listening to the radio or watching TV and I drift off. Uh, I daydream a little bit. Uh, I'm thinking about something else. Maybe I'm thinking about bills or what I'm going to talk about on the show or the uh, project I'm working for for the office. Um, so I don't catch everything all the time. And rather than be accused of not paying attention, I pretend like I know what the question is or what just <laughs> happened. And I hope... Uh, Either it doesn't matter enough and I don't have to revisit it or I'll be able to catch up in the course of the conversation. So that's just how my unfortunate uh, habits have formed over a lifetime. I'm trying to be better about that. Uh, and it, it, so what I'm saying is watching um, Wade's attorney or the the uh, uh, witness on the stand today uh, conjured up a lot of anxiety for me because I have been in a situation where someone texted me something where my response led them to believe that I fully understood their question when I was just hoping that I would catch up with what they were talking about th- through our exchanges. And it ended horribly. I can't even... What? It was not... I... Uh, the the ultimately apparently what I agreed to was that I remember a friend of his asking if they could please him, and he sent me a video of it. Okay, that's I did not no I did not remember any of that. I'm pretty sure I blocked that out. So um, yeah, we had to, the lawyers had to get involved because uh, I, I tried very hard not to say anything, but I was it was so. Uh, just traumatizing. Um, I'm kind of I'm nervously uh, talking about it, but at any rate, that's an extreme or it is an example of if you're exchanging text with somebody, it doesn't you don't convey tone. It doesn't carry all the information. I think that you can be in a situation where you're like, yeah, sure, absolutely, sure, whatever. So that's yeah, certainly. Um, and because you can't follow that up. So they're relying on apparently on texts. They're also saying that in conversations, uh, this witness also said things that, um, that led them to believe that he knew what he was talking about. Uh, but they don't you don't have you know, that wasn't that wasn't being recorded. That wasn't being transcribed by anybody. So it's based on the attorney saying that's not what you told us. Uh, all of this is with the intent by Trump's lawyers to have Fannie Willis not only, not just uh, uh, basically all have all of her testimony, because they're saying that if this guy, if this witness was telling the truth and accurate when the relationship started, it would incriminate all of her testimony. And of course, they want to remove her from Trump's case. And the general uh, consensus seems to be amongst those who know way more about the law and situations like this, that uh, it would be very hard to find another prosecutor to take up this case. If they did, it will delay the case. And this is one of those cases where it is a state uh, pursued prosecution. He cannot uh, he cannot pardon himself. So he wants he wants this one to go away. Uh, And what a mess. I really uh, and it was interesting to, again, um, culturally watching this, watching attorney. I mean, he, he, there was a point where he was talking about his fraternity. And I wish I, I should probably pull up the name of the attorney so I don't say he. Oh, someone's giving it to me. Um, so I, I know that um, 
you know, we don't. I, one, I'm not. In the, I was never in the Greek system, so I don't know what it means to be in a sorority or fraternity. But at one point, uh, the, it is. Oh, thank you very much, Nathan Wade's uh, divorce lawyer, and it was uh, what's his name, De- defense ex, ex divorce attorney, is the ex attorney for um, Wade. Hold on, let me pull it up so I'm not constantly doing this. Uh, Nathan Wade's romantic relationship. Terrence Bradley. It was Wade's former 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 lawyer, and um, he said that, that we were, were fraternity brothers, so they have this common experience. And one of the attorneys for Trump was talking about like, well, you didn't go to the same college at the same time, and you didn't even go to school together. And he was like, yeah, but. So you're saying you're fraternity brothers. I my understanding, too, is that uh, black sororities and fraternities have a different because there are fewer. There is a much closer network uh, is more tightly connected organizations than I, and again. I don't I'm not familiar with uh, the Greek system on any level, but uh, I also thought that was an interesting moment where it, it was obviously combative. Uh, they wanted him to admit that either he was lying on the stand or that they, he had lied to them. Uh you know, there was it was uncomfortable when he was talking about these texts that he uh, that they then said, here, here's the text where you said, absolutely. I believe that their relationship started uh, whatever date that was. Let me take a break here. I know we've got some callers that want to join the conversation on this topic. So let's uh, right now there is a tornado watch, by the way. I do want to let folks know that there is a tornado watch. Uh, let's see. Make sure I want to make sure that I have it includes um, 18 counties uh, in central Illinois, uh, Livingston County in central and east central Ford, Iroquois. Up here, uh, North Central is Boone, Lee, DeKalb, LaSalle, Ogle, Winnebago. Up here, of course, also Cook, Kane, Lake. So we're all, most of us and uh, parts of Northwest Indiana are also now in a tornado watch. So please be aware of what is going on in your area. It looks like the center of this is uh, to the south and west of us in Chicago. So let's take a break here. And uh, if you have weather happening by you, uh, let us know. 773-763-9278. And of course, join the conversation on this topic, 773-763-9278. You can call or text more in a moment on WCPT 820, Heartland Signal. You want facts to matter, want to hear some truth? Get your lazy ass down to the voting booth and vote, damn it! Vote, damn it! Want some justice on the Supreme Court? Lifetime appointments, they ain't short! Women to control their own body. Want a real president, not John Gotti. Want a clear separation of church and state. It don't come free. Steve Goody sounds awfully angry and frustrated, but I think we're, some of us are getting there. Uh, so I was talking about listening to today's uh, court proceedings uh, regarding the relationship between Fannie Willis and, uh, and Nathan Wade. Uh, on the line, Paul, the host of Kitchen Table Progressive Sunday nights here on WCPT at 6 o'clock. Uh, what's on your mind, Paul? Are you watching the, the testimony, too? No, I didn't see it today, but it comes to the point that I have been making all along, and I'm surprised that nobody has has, come, has mentioned this, that um, the question is whether the relationship is a con- is some way a conflict of interest in the RICO case against Donald Trump and the others. So if the relationship started in 2019 as the, what, ex-employee and ex-friend of Fonnie Willis says, that ex- actually makes the relationship less relevant 
as a conflict of interest because it came before the alleged interference in Georgia by Donald Trump, right? Well, no, because if she was already in a relationship with him and brought him on because she was in a relationship, right? Wasn't the, the, her story was, and again, I, this is so unfortunate, but my understanding was, and again, I didn't watch every single moment of her testimony either. My understanding was that they started the relationship after he came on her team, that she contracted him to work on this case. If she was in a relationship with him prior and hired him to be a part of the team because they were in a relationship, I think that's part of what casts a little more mm. yeah, murkiness on this, right? Because then she's paying somebody she's in a relationship with. She's contracted well, with. Yeah, yeah. Well, but the, the, still, the question is: yes. Is it a conflict of interest right. with the case? That's the main question. And yeah, I, I, I suppose you could say it's the money part. I think is what seems to be the most uh, what they focus on. Because you, you've, I, I think you've heard Paul Farvar fill in for me. He did a, a quick uh, explan- explanatory well, video about this, and essentially saying if you know if lawyers uh, were going to get in trouble in every case they worked on where they slept with somebody, uh, then lawyers would be on a, they wouldn't they wouldn't have any cases. Well, uh, no kidding. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. I mean, there, there are affairs going on in every law office in America. Every 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 plaintiff or every defendant would have a case to throw out. You know, oh, so and so is sleeping with so and so, and you know that that would be. But I, I still then it's not the other part of it. Then is okay, as you say, if it was going on in twenty nineteen, then the Trump team they're not the ones with standing in the case. It would be the it would be whatever Cook or uh, Georgia, right? The Georgia, the uh, Fulton County, right? They're the ones who are saying, "Oh, you," and they and they didn't bring the suit, right? They're, they're not the ones. The, the the ones that are standing are the ones who have damage. There's a damage, a cause, and there's a redress. That's that's who have standing. So if if that was if that's the allegation, then I don't see how how the Trump team has standing in the case. But that's, the judge is letting this go as if you know, no, uh, Fulton County is not bringing us up saying, "Wait a minute, you guys had this relationship, and then you're and then you started paying him." That would be what the county would be doing. That's what the county. That's that's not because that if that's true, uh, as you say, yeah, that's a that's that's kind of nepotism at least, right? Right. Um, or cronyism, if nothing else. Um, so, but not not like there's no cronyism anywhere else in America either. Um, but okay, so I, I don't see how it. I still don't see where it points to a conflict of interest. Or that the Trump team has standing in the complaint because they don't have any damages in that regard. Yeah, I agree. And here's the thing: I mean, like, I, so it is. It was interesting to listen to because you could hear Trump's lawyers get very testy because this guy was their Terrence Bradley was their star witness, essentially. Yeah. And uh, yeah, uh-huh. and, and he said apparently in exchanges with texts and and again uh, unless you record like I did a videotape interview with him where he said yeah they started their relationship and or he told me it started after this conference they went to um, that would be one thing but in a text exchange where he was like apparently reading some document and then said absolutely to it um, he said it was he was saying absolutely in reference to something else that's in texting something on social media tone uh, intent all that stuff has it's impossible. Oh, that, that that you just can't do texting and emails. Just it's just the worst 
I just went through this too uh, with a, a, an email that uh, a friend of mine sent me about a conversation that she had with somebody else, um, uh, and and she was she was um, emailed me about this is what Tom said this 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 and what I did was I copied all of the all of the stuff that supposed that Tom said right right back into my reply and. Then I was saying, you know, this is BS. We already went over this, right? And she, she went call my lady friend and said, why is Paul so upset with me? <laughs> I was like, no, I'm upset with Tom, not you. Oh, boy. I was, I was just saying, well, we already went over all this stuff, and so why is he even saying that, right? right? It's like we've already been through this. But anyway, let me say something quick about the IVF. Oh, um, sure. I, did, you, did you hear the... the- <laughs> I'm sorry. It's not funny because there are people who are really upset and, and are having their lives slipped around. But now the legislature in Alabama and the governor's like, we want to make sure we can do everything we can to protect these families. We, <laughs> yeah. we want to make sure we don't lose another election. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. All, that's all we care. But this whole thing about, and I was talking to Tom Hartman about this today, is that um, the 14th Amendment says in order to have rights, you have to be born. In order to have rights in the state where you live, you first have to be born in that state. And then under Article 4, Section 2, you then have rights of the several states, which means constitutional rights. So if they're, if they're persons, they're persons that don't have rights. And so, therefore, they don't have any standing. They're kind of in the same – they have the same problem that Dred Scott had. Uh, they don't they have no – he's a person, but he's not a citizen and doesn't have any rights. So you can say that. But here's the thing about uh, the Constitution prohibits slavery, slavery, if not, uh, you know, if you haven't been convicted of something. But it doesn't prevent, it doesn't prohibit people from being property. And these, these embryos, frozen embryos, are the property of these yeah. fertility clinics. Well, and... and- the- and it can also in um, Sophia Vergara and her ex-husband there. She had this done. She has uh, yeah. embryos. Yes. And they are considered marital property. That's right. And so the 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 both the Fifth Amendment and the 14th Amendment say that no person shall be deprived of life, liberty or property without due process of law. So that's the 14th Amendment. So every one of these cases, the chief, the chief justice can't, just can't make this blanket ruling. Every single case would have to go to court because every, every person has standing. Every couple has standing in it, and they, they, you can't take my property or impound it somehow without giving me due process of law because it's property. There's no doubt. This, this, this judge really opened up a gigantic constitutional can of worms, not to mention a theological can of worms, as he says that, uh, I guess what do you say? People exist before they're born. It's right. like, uh, oh, okay, really? Well, then here's the other thing: if if these are people, Constitution says we need to count them. <laughs> so yes. that would be great for Democrats because all these fertility clinics are in the urban areas. You know, the, the urban areas will have a big boon in representation in Congress uh, because who knows how many of these? But I think they they try to get as many embryos as they can because you have to do a well. multiple. Yeah. Yeah. It, it takes a lot of tries sometimes. Yep. So I, I don't know. It's what a mess. I would say this, Paul. You said that they opened this judge opened a can of worms and in particular with what he wrote on his decision and, the, you know, that we are all created in the likeness of God. Uh, I would I would actually 
disagree that he opened up a can of worms. He just said what they, what so many of these extremists truly believe and want to do. He just pulled back the curtain yeah. and said, "Here's where we stand on this." I mean, we already well, knew no that. About that. Yeah, he put yeah. It, he has put it in writing from a position of extreme power in the state of Alabama and immediately affected the lives of so many people, not just in Alabama but across the country. But yeah, I think the problem is. Well, I don't disagree that the state can regulate and probably prohibit uh, in vitro fertilization, but not for those reasons. So, right. which means that that's going to go before this Supreme Court of uh, Amy Coney Barrett's and yep. and so on, and and they, you know, the handmaiden. Yep. Uh, th- th- this is the scary part: is the more things that go before the court, uh, this co- Supreme Court, the scarier it gets. It used to be, remember, the Republicans used to say about Rose that it should have never gone, this court should have never even accepted the case. And now they're like, everything, they want to get as many things before the court as they possibly can now so that they can fundamentally change America. That's, that's, uh, you know, it's kind of funny was that uh, they they always talked about how Barack Obama wants to fundamentally change America. Well, I think that's what they want to do. That's what they're showing is that they want to fundamentally change America into their own personal uh, religious beliefs, and it's getting really um, kind of straying from the Constitution. Or they they have their ways of stretching it as far as they can uh, to get it the way they want, I suppose, uh, because they're all wordsmiths and and they can. But I, I think that I think that the, I would say, as far as religious beliefs go, what I'm seeing more now of is wanting life, everyone in your world to act and behave a certain way and using religion as the sword to do that with. Yeah. And no, I, I, I would I, also I would also say this. One, one thing I'll never forget, because uh, my son, uh, because he is my son, enjoys. Cause I, I've, I think I've joked about running home to watch the Ollie North testimony when I was in grade school. I was in the car one day and Griffin was playing. You can hear the oral arguments for Roe v. Wade when this was decided in the Supreme Court. And I will never forget one of the people that was trying to uh, make eliminate abortion as an option for, for families uh, being asked by one of the Supreme Court justices about people, children that are born with severe disabilities and whether or not an unborn uh, unborn fetus has more, you know, has more value. And essentially that lawyer is saying yes. Yeah. The, That's, that they was, don't, they also do not want people with disabilities. Just saying. Right. Well, yeah. they, so you were talking about, you were running home to watch the Watergate hearing. Then. Not Watergate, Ollie North. That would have yeah. been, we're not Watergate. <laughs> yeah. Cause that was when, that was when the, that was when the Roe Wade, uh, decision was in seventy two. No. hearings were in seventy three. No, no, no. Um, Ollie North. Ollie North was Iran Contra. Yeah, yeah, I, I know. I remember that. Yes, Griffin. Uh, was, that, Griffin's uh, listening to the recordings of. I'm saying he's as much of a dork oh, as I oh, was. I he oh, oh, he's oh, listening I to the recordings yeah. of it. Yes, he was playing them in the car oh, okay, one day. Right. Yeah, because he uh, likes I, to listen to. He's a dork like I am. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's I a te- he's a teenager who's like, oh, I got to listen to the oral arguments about Roe v. Wade from 1970. So. Oh well. Yeah, well, I, I we watched the summer of '73 was the Watergate hearings, and that, the phrase that we came to use on our parents, uh, like "Where were you last night?" was uh, not to the best of my recollection at this point in time. <laughs> yes, Always pretty right. much said was that was our that was John Dean said that yeah. must have said it about two thousand yeah. times, and that's why I say um, you know when they talk about Joe Biden's memory, I think. How many times did Ronald Reagan say, well, I don't recall yep. you know, in the Iraq? That uh, was his only response. Yep. That Ronald Reagan, the only response he said in those hearings was, well, I don't recall. 
And, and John Dean, who was 34 years old at the time, said, not to the best of my recollection at this point in time, he must have said that. Well, he said it all summer long, so that's why we couldn't stop saying it. Yep. It's insane. <laughs> yep. I, I can't recall. Have a great evening, Paul. Have a good and thanks, thanks for calling. Man. Appreciate it. Yeah, Sunday right. night, 6 o'clock, kitchen, kitchen Table Progressives with Paul from Seattle. More in a moment. We're going to catch up with our friends and talk about some uh, North, North Side Restaurant Week. We're going to check in with our friends. Uh, I know we're talking to Rudy Flores and Terry Tui when we come back on WCPT 820, Heartland Signal. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. The uh, weather, as I mentioned, is uh, shifting pretty quickly, so please be aware of any weather alerts that you receive. Uh, There could be bursts of winds up to 60 miles an hour uh, with hail and uh, just can be damaging. And there are there is uh, the conditions might be right for a tornado. Um, And my uh, Tom Skilling is uh, I'm not going to be on our in our uh, in our lives on a regular basis, but I have a feeling that uh, he will delight us uh, with appearances. And uh, I'll reach out and see if I can get an interview. He is one of the nicest human beings I've ever had the pleasure of not just uh, hanging out with, but of working with. Uh, he, when I was at another radio station, he was kind enough to uh, join us when there was a, a severe weather going on and, and to just catch up sometimes. And when I was let go from that station uh, in a very public and embarrassing way, <laughs> he was, uh, I ran into him at uh, an event for the Pride Parade that summer. A couple, actually, it was about a couple weeks after I was let go. And um, he, he used a, a, a colorful language to describe uh, my firing and told me some stories uh, that um, uh, were just uh, of other people doing things that didn't get them fired. So he was really upset uh, and angry for me. And that was very sweet of him. And uh, I just, uh, I've been watching him for as long as I can remember. I actually have an entire bit. I have an entire uh, comedy uh, bit about uh, Tom Skilling. And I have a couple, there's a couple of local reporters that I have incorporated into my show, especially if it's a, a crowd that, um, I know we'll, we'll really get it, but for Tom Skilling, I talk about how he just, he gives us so much information. He is so excited to share his knowledge, and he's a, he's like me. He's a dork about something very specific that he knows very well, and he has the technology to back that stuff up. I remember the first time I, I realized that he had toys that no other meteorologist either had access to or ever used, and it was this graphic where he basically, you know, it was, it, it was like a, um, this animation of coming across the top of the planet and he was explaining uh, you know what was going on in another part of the world and how it was affecting us and I was like and this is about 20 years ago and I thought man this is this is this is remarkable and you know he's had uh, several uh, wonderful weather specials on WGN he, I loved when he uh, traveled with some storm chasers he was he just looked like he was in heaven um, you know being in the middle of everything and uh, the, so the bit that I have is that he just, he has, you know, in a one hour newscast, he does about three hours and 45 minutes of weather. And he's got all this information. He's got the historical highs and lows, the upper atmosphere, the barometric pressure, the easterlies and northerlies. And I'm sometimes have watched uh, the weather report and thought, oh my God, Tom, is it going to be hot or cold tomorrow? I just want to know how high I have to shave in the morning. Uh, am I standing over the mirror or what? <laughs> to the knee, to the higher, how is it? Oh, anyway, that's uh, one of the things that I, I have uh, enjoyed uh, getting uh, a lot of uh, people identifying with um, 
just how uh, incredible his depth of knowledge in the, the arena of weather is. And again, I have to say, uh, what you see is truly what you get from Tom Skilling. He is kind-hearted. He loves to laugh. He is sweet. He is incredibly smart. And uh, I will miss seeing him do the uh, weather reports as well. So. We love you, Tom. I don't know if Tom listens to uh, to this station. <laughs> I, should, I probably should have had him on sooner. Uh, but I'll, uh, once he retires, I will uh, reach out. And I mean, it's after tomorrow. He's going to have some time on his hands. Uh, we uh, are going to check in with our friends in just a few minutes about the uh, Northside Restaurant Week. Uh, speaking of the weather, as, as it does turn back to warm weather, and more of us will be getting our bicycles ready, and I'll be getting uh, my hiking gear out. Uh, and, and I love how close we live to nature. I look, I love my car. I love driving. Uh, I'll be honest. The minute I had access to a driver's license, I was out of my house and in my car as often as possible. And we are in this city, uh, a, a car centric town. And I think that I wish that um, we could kind of come to a moment of, okay, can I have, look, I've been annoyed by cyclists weaving in a traffic or riding on the sidewalks and, and, you know, and, and I used to be much more like, well, you know, we, you know, cars won. I'll be honest. I used to be that person. Um, and I think I have talked about this. Uh, I am willing and open to changing my opinion on things. And I, I am very much uh, grateful. I'm very grateful to uh, the folks who have, uh, who are working on things like Better Streets Chicago, uh, Bike Lanes Now, Bike Uprising. Uh, I, I do think that this is something that needs disrupting, you guys. And I know that a lot of folks who love their cars and their big cars and um, there was a study about the survival rates uh, in a car versus pedestrian and how high the hood is and your chance of surviving an impact when you are a pedestrian, of course, with somebody who's driving not only a car that's that big, but their visibility for you is in particular children. Uh, it is, it's catastrophic. And I, and I just, um, that's just an extreme uh, comment on that. There was a hit and run in my community in Portage Park and, uh, uh, the young man who was riding his bike uh, is in the hospital with uh, with life threatening injuries, I believe. And, and there's a whole other aspect to this as far as when um, law enforcement arrived and uh, the response to it. Uh, I do. I think that we. I, and I was thinking about this. I, I come back to it. Uh, I was in Logan Square over the weekend and we have these bike, these protected bike lanes and we know that paint is not protection. Uh, I love in Copenhagen and in other parts of the world where they have dedicated curbed lanes. So there's a curb, there's a four inch curb, you know, the car would do some damage and people, it's just, it's become a part of their culture. And, and they were all there. There are other parts of the world where they've been car centric and have made the shift and we can do this. But in Logan Square, no one knows how to park in those protected to bike lane parking spots because they're set off from the curb. Try to be aware. I think that we need some sort of uh, digital education on this. Maybe the city of Chicago could put something out to sort of, you know, fund like, like you know, we United does a, United Airlines does a great uh, emergency uh, video, right? It's kind of fun and funky. I, we need some sort of uh, education when it comes to pedestrians, to cyclists, to how we can we can be a part of the solution and not be angry with each other uh, and find a safer way forward. Uh, Jim is calling from. Chicago. Hey, Jim, what's on your mind, my friend? Global warming. Yep. I've lived, lived in Chicago for 74 years. 
yeah. up in March. I've never seen a February like this in my life. No. Where it's 61 day and 30. If this isn't global warming in spades, I don't know what is. And the Republicans are denying it. The front runner for the Republican nomination denies it, denies it. In the meantime, it's 100 degrees in Texas in February. Now, if this would be, I don't know how long the species could last. If you had a, 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 a temperatures that went from 70 to 30 to 70 to 30, day after day after day, I don't know how anybody could uh, uh, adapt to that. If you're working outside, I don't know what you would bring two sets of clothes with you. I mean, you can see global warming's creeping up. It's almost like COVID. You know, nobody would believe in COVID until uh, we were plagued with it. And another thing, down in Florida, the measles are coming back down there because yes. they're oh. anti-vax. Yes. Yeah, the, Repub- the Republicans are anti-vax, anti-climate. Uh, they, how would you? How could you send your kid to school? Out of vaccination, and you're going to jeopardize the other little kids' health in, in that classroom. I mean, yeah. How do you how do you conscience that? How do you conscience that? It's, uh, but how do they how do they get that idiotic? How do we get this idiotic? I don't understand it. They're right? anti-information. You said they're well, anti-climate. I, I know, but my God, my God, I, I grew up. I grew up with the newspapers and whatever. And I got my vaccinations. My mother didn't have to get all kinds of information. She knew that the doctor told her the kid needs a vaccination. There was no, uh, you didn't think about it. Yeah. I mean, this is this is an anti, some kind of a strange uh, thing that's going on. It's just it's nuts. I well, don't there's, get it. Here, there's, uh, there's some, uh, some researchers right now are saying the unseasonal weather is an example of the unpredictable weather. They say climate change will ensure everyone continues to see. Uh, it's, this is an especially uh, powerful example uh, that we're dropping. That we're going to go from the mid to upper 70s to below freezing with single digit wind chills within a matter of hours. So, and how would you like to? What you think about? It? I worked outside all my life. So, in other words, let's say I got a few beers in me, and I go to work the next day, and it's freezing out, and all I got on is a, is a sweater. Yep. You know what I mean? It, I mean, this is this is ridiculous. But everything is like this. Everything is like the, the news media is like this. They, they're, they're running a candidate who's absolutely insane and pretending that he's that he's all there. Yep. I mean, we're living in a we're living in a Disneyland. I mean, whatever. I don't like Disneyland, but we're living in a, in a fantasy. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Well, and the bigger thing is, I've got to, I've got to run. But uh, the, in addition to like, well, how do you dress for weather like this? But that's the other issue is, I mean, look what's happening in California with the heavy rains. The, you know, they have built houses on cliffs, and the the soil, the, it, it, if it takes on too much water, it creates these landslides. So that's a, another reminder to us with our infrastructure, whether it's bridges, uh, definitely overpasses on the highways. You know, when you have the heat and cold, everything contracts and expands, and it's going to cause a lot of damage. So I, I think. Infrastructure-wise, we need to get ahead of it. Yeah, take a seven-year-old kid in Florida; they got swallowed up on the beach. Yep. The beach, the he called him, and he went into the hole and died. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, come on, come on. Anyway, Pete, thanks, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Oh, wow, Jim. Jim disconnected himself. Let's take a break here. When we come back. Let's find out about Northside Restaurant Week with our friends Terry and Rudy. When we come back on WCPT eight twenty Heartland Signal. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. 
North Side Restaurant Week kicks off this Friday. Only it's not just one week. It looks like it's two weeks. Joining us on the line is Rudy Flores, the CEO of the Lincoln Square Ravenswood Chamber of Commerce, and Terry Tui, the uh, board chairperson for Uptown United and Special Service Area 34. Hey, gentlemen, how are you doing today? You're a woman with a. I may have guessed. <laughs> I apologize. Hi, Terry. Do you get that a lot because it's a T E R R Y? I do it on purpose because it's a, I love having people throw people off. You yeah. Know, never know what to expect. Hey, consider me thrown off, and I apologize for making the assumption. Well, you know what I do? No, I make it. What was that? We've met before. You were one of my. Um, you were an auctioneer for me at St. Matthias about five years ago for an auction. You were wonderful. That was so much fun. That was a. That was, do you guys still do that event at St. Matthias? No, not any longer. But I actually you did the last one, and uh, we broke the mold after you uh, were the auctioneer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we couldn't bring it back. You broke it. I, I've, I've broken enough things in my lifetime to not carry the guilt for that one. Let me just say. That. <laughs> Well, thank you both for joining us. Uh, I really appreciate it. I'm excited for a restaurant. You guys have so you have so many great restaurants in the area. Rudy, tell us a little bit about this event and uh, and where people can find out more information. Yeah, so a lot of um, communities um, across Chicago have, are doing you know their own restaurant weeks, and we also have the Great Chew Chicago Restaurant Week that's for Chicagoland. And um, we reached out from my chamber to a couple of other local chambers that we work with to see. If They'd want to collaborate. Um, some of, some of, I'm sorry, there's my dog. Some of us did um, events and some of us didn't. And so now we have, um, working together, over 50 businesses on the north side of Chicago um, that are able to do prefix menus that can fit everyone's budget from $15 um, at the lower end to an upwards of $60 um, for a person at you know, some of the, the nicer, finer uh, dining restaurants. So um, it's just a great way of exploring all of our communities for two weeks, as you pointed out. It's more than one week. And all the information is at northsiderestaurantweek.com. Excellent. I really, I, I do, uh, I'm, I'm such a huge fan of all these communities. I mean, you know, uh, Terry, do you watch, uh, do you watch um, The Bear at all? Yes. Oh my God. I, I, I love that there's such a beautiful postcard about Chicago food uh, that, you know, but people can just see the, the dynamic energy of our city. Uh, tell us about some of the great, uh, the great restaurants and places to eat in Uptown. Well, I'm going to start by saying this is a very hard uh, conversation to have uh, before dinner because I'm eating um, up on some of these things. I'm like, I am so hungry. I'm going home to vegetable soup. What am I doing? Um <laughs> So in Uptown, uh, well, actually, both Uptown, Ravenswood, Lincoln Square, and and the other uh, centers, um, you're going to go around the world in eating. You are going to go through the Asian communities of uh, Thailand, uh, Vietnam, Chinese, Korean. Um, You're going to go through Irish, American, German, uh, Argentina, uh, Mexican. It just, it's it's amazing what these restaurateurs have put together for these prefix menus. Um, everyone is um, delicious. Um, not too much food, not too little food. The price point, as Rudy mentioned, it's perfect. And um, it's an opportunity to try things that you might not always know you want to try. But when you when you read the, the menus in their languages, you're like, I have no idea what I'm, I'm going to see. But when they put the English 
um, you know, opportunities to see that it's, you know, um, basil leaf with chicken and uh, uh, over rice and uh, with a special sauce. They all have special sauces. I love that. Uh, Peking duck. Um, you've got, you know, then I read one that's got the smash burgers, and I'm like, oh, I'm so hungry. I can't handle it. Um, so there's just award-winning restaurants. There's local restaurants. There's pretty much everything that you could ever want. And um, I would hope that people would say, you know, let's go to four different restaurants in these two weeks. Um, figure out what the price is and, 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 and make a, a, a time of it. Get your friends and everyone gets to pick one because they're all delicious. I, I have to agree with you. I'm looking at all the locations right now. Again, you can go to northsiderestaurantweek.com, and under that you'll see all the, the locations for Andersonville, Edgewater, Lincoln Square, Ravenswood, North Center, Rogers Park, and Uptown. And I have to tell you, Rudy, I, I was making dinner plans this week for with a friend of mine, um, and and they're not from here originally, and I've taken them to all my northwest side joints that I like, like Gale Street and uh, Mom's Old Recipe, and uh, you know all my all my northwest side joints. So I was going to take him to Artango this week, uh, which is an amazing Argentinian restaurant. I had the pleasure. I learned about them from you years ago on my other radio show. I, I have to say, Rudy, this has got to be such a fun thing to collaborate with all these great restaurants. It is. It, it, what I like about, like you said, Artango, right? I know you used to live in Lincoln Square, and that wasn't there when you lived in Lincoln Square, I believe. And so being able to to, to explore that, you know, by learning about the different events that we're working on. And then Bistro Campan, which I'm sure you've been to, that's also on Lincoln Avenue, the French restaurant. So you go from Argentinian to French right in Lincoln Square. Uh, I actually, you know, I work in Lincoln Square and Ravenswood, but I live in Edgewater, Andersonville. And so now to have, uh, you know, working with them yes. and getting to see, like, in Edgewater, um, they have Axum Ethiopian Restaurant on Broadway, um, Beard and Belly also on Broadway. Um, they have the Regalia, which is uh, a, a the newer restaurant to our community in Edgewater, like being able to see that. And so I'm uh, planning out myself. Okay. So I'm going to do this with maybe my colleagues that work in, in Lincoln Square and Ravenswood. And then I'm going to go home with some friends and check out things in Edgewater and Andersonville. My, one of my best friends works for the Rogers Park Business Alliance who's also involved with this. And then they have the, our public house right off of Jarvis, which has a brunch lunch menu part um, to this. So that's also exciting to see that, you know, maybe it's not dinner for you. Maybe you want to do something on, Sunday or even brunch on a weekday and they have that option for you. Um, so it's like really cool to like plan it as somebody who's involved in the event, but also hopefully people listening tonight and, and see it go on the website, um, get excited about trying to play, you know, places over the course of two weeks as well. I, absolutely. And by the way, uh, in part of that list for Andersonville are our sponsors of the show and friends of the show from Uve kitchen and wine bar. We love them. And I've been to replay. I've been, yeah, I've been to all these Parsons is amazing. Oda, uh, lady Gregory's you guys. I mean, these are all places. Once you go there, you'd be like, how did I, how have I not been coming here at at least a few times a year. These are destinations. Really. And it's, it's the kind of thing where if you're not from those neighborhoods, you have some place to show off when people come into town. Like I wanted to uh, with our tango this weekend. And Terry, uh, tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, the, the work that this, you know, how, well, first of all, Terry, is this a, how, how many years have you guys done this Northside Restaurant Week with everybody that you're bringing together this time? This is the first time, I believe. Oh. Right, Rudy? It is. Hey! First time. So you're 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 spearheading it, Patty. Yay. You're making it happen. <laughs> um, let's let's do it. But I I have to tell you that um, I mean we're just very fortunate on the north side um, with the chambers. They they all work well together. Um, they're I, I swear they're all on speed dial with each other, and. Um, uh, 
it's one of those things where on a day like today when it's so balmy out, when you walk around both, whether it's Andersonville or Lincoln Square or um, Edgewater uh, or Uptown, and people are out walking the streets to go to these restaurants or going to shops or looking at the artwork, um, you just get this wonderful feeling like this is what community is all about. Um, Not to mention you don't have the hassle of expensive parking down in the city. You don't have to deal with the traffic. It's, It's in our local neighborhoods. And uh, we have to support our restaurants because they, they make us, um, they're part of the fabric of what makes each one of these communities so unique and so welcoming. I have to agree. So I, I, yeah. Yeah. I agree, Terry. I, I tell people this, you know, I'm, I, oddly, I am now friends with the owner of the restaurant where my parents used to take me to when I was a kid for family celebrations. Uh, George Cars is the owner of Gale Street Inn. I, and I tell people, you know, your local restaurants, that's where memories are made. Don't you think, Rudy? And that's a big part of this, too, right? Oh, it totally is. That's what I think makes the neighborhood so special in our city. And I think when you travel to other American cities, you sometimes don't see this or experience it. It's because we're so ingrained with the business community here. And we, we really do care as citizens about that, that community level business. And yeah, getting to watch, um, people's kids grow up, you know, we do the summer concert series and getting plaza in, in Lincoln square. And I've seen kids when they're like three or four and, you know, and, and now they're 14 and it's, you know, it's interesting to just be able to see them grow up, stay here in the community, you know, know the business owners and then want to support them when they become adults and stuff like that. So just exactly what you, you experience. Yep. I agree. Uh, Terry, before we go, how can people find out more about uh, what's going on in uptown? Oh, I was afraid you'd ask that question because um, <laughs> they can go to com for all the Uptown information. Um, and then there's a drop down for the Northside um, or North, Northside uh, Restaurant Week. So that's uh, so it's just pretty UptownUnited.com. Outstanding. And, and I look forward to learning more about what's going on in Uptown. And Rudy, uh, where can folks find out more about what's going on in Lincoln Square Ravenswood? Yeah, the lincolnsquare.org is our main website. But if you just go to the Northside Restaurant Week webpage, you can click over to all of our neighborhoods' um, websites so you can explore not just the Restaurant Week, but also all the other things they have going on in their communities. Outstanding. Thank you both so much for joining us. I wish you the very best, and I hope great success for all the restaurants. And everyone, go explore, have some good food, meet some new people, walk around some new neighborhoods, enjoy. Thank you so much, Terry and Rudy. It was great talking to you. Driving it home. Thank you so much for joining us. And we uh, want to welcome our friends listening in Minneapolis, St. Paul on KTNF 950 AM. And we are excited. We are so focused this year on making sure we do everything we can to help uh, candidates who are running for office, whether it is obviously uh, President Joe Biden. Uh, and we talk a lot about how our local elections are the most important thing on your ballot. It is important to reelect Joe Biden uh, for just everything. And, uh, and when we want to talk to our friends in other states, uh, learn about what's going on there. And when now we have on the line with us, Sean Walker. I'm sorry. We are talking to Sam. Sorry. Sorry, Sam. Sam Barloga, the communications director for Indiana Dems. They have a primary coming up on May 7th. How is it going, Sam? Hey, good to be with you, Patty. Thanks for having me on. And uh, things are going good. You know, we just uh, got through the finalization of the uh, of the ballots today. So uh, the last day of challenges. So 
primary ballots are about to be finalized and uh, first ballots go out in the mail in just uh, just just about three weeks. So we're gearing up here in, in the Hoosier State. So what is uh, what are some of the races where, uh, you know, perhaps there's more wiggle room than there might have been in the past, whether it's because uh, people are, are tired of what uh, you know, far right extremists are doing or perhaps uh, in particular when it comes to abortion issues? Are there any seats that you're seeing that uh, might have a little uh, opportunity for a path forward for Democrats? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, uh, you know, one of our biggest uh, goals this year in Indiana is trying to break this Republican-dominated supermajority. They control 70 of the 30 seats because of their gerrymandered rig maps. But we need to just break four seats in the state house to break their supermajority, which would add a Democrat to every committee in the state house and allow not allow the Republicans uh, to meet without the Democrats, because currently just the Republicans could show up to the legislature and they can meet quorum. Um, so we have four districts, you know, in the suburbs of Indianapolis here uh, where we think we can play. And we also have a, a, a few districts up in northwest Indiana, um, Carmel, Zionsville area, um, where, you know, we think things like uh, the total abortion ban that the Republican majority passed uh, two years ago. Those are things that are not popular in those areas. People want to protect their freedoms, want to protect their rights. And uh, we promise that the Democrats in the state house will always fight to restore choice here in Indiana. Well, that's something that uh, uh, I know so many people are invested in. And are, is it translating into uh, folks realizing that it's, if they're not just coming for abortion, but so many other things that are, are important in people's lives? Because it feels as though uh, Indiana has for many years been moving in a, in a very uh, controlling conservative and, and not controlling because uh, the gun ownership uh, and the gun issues. Uh, certainly, it's the first time I ever heard a radio show called Gun Talk. Um, it, it's <laughs> I was like, what am I listening to? And do you remember when there was uh, someone that was shooting uh, from like uh, people on the highway in Indiana? Do you remember this a few years ago? And I was and I was driving. I'm listening to this. I'm like, what is happening? You guys have eliminated, not you guys, but Indiana has uh, really drawn down uh, things like being able to keep one in your glove compartment, being able to be on school premises. Uh, you know, <laughs> is that something that people are starting to go, OK, maybe we've let this go too far? Yeah, I think uh, particularly this year, there's a there's a bill in the state house that would uh, that would cancel Gary's lawsuit. So Gary's had a lawsuit since 1999 against um, specific gun manufacturers. I know one of them is Smith and Weston, um, and the city of Gary's been suing them uh, for you know trying to prove that these companies uh, engaged irresponsibly and and led to a lot of the gun crimes in Gary, Indiana. Um, this case has gone on for 25 years, and the state legislator is now trying to kill it right before the gun companies are subject to discovery. And, um, you know, this bill would not just kill Gary's lawsuit, but it would prevent any local government in the state of Indiana, county, township, town, city, from suing a gun manufacturer for any reason. The only, the only entity that could do it in the state of Indiana would be the state of Indiana. Uh, an attorney, the attorney general here has promised that he will never do so under any circumstances. How can that possibly be good public policy if we can say, uh, you know, we're never going to take on the gun industry? We're never going to take on the gun lobby. Um, you know, so that is something that's going on here. And I think a lot of people are asking questions. Oh, that's good. That's good to know. Because the other, the other thing is I, I've met Governor Holcomb and uh, and I met him when he was deciding on approving uh, medical marijuana. And I believe Indiana has medical marijuana, not recreational use. Is that correct? No, we don't. We, we, oh. we are one of 
we have no, we have, marijuana is completely illegal here. Oh, (laughs) I thought he was moving in the direction of allowing it for medical use. Huh. No, no. So uh, he he did sign something in the very early, uh, uh, you know, about CBD. But basically the same, uh, you know, the same thing, you know, CBD is federally legal now. So we don't have a medical program. Something that we really are focused on is giving Hoosiers the choice to vote on that at the ballot box, because that's something that we don't allow for in our state constitution at the moment and something the Republicans don't want to sure. see happen. Oh, and is there any way to change that? Um, I, it, would, I mean, it would be changed by by taking control of the supermajority yep. or taking control of the state legislator and writing a law because clearly there is no mechanism in Indiana state law. There just is no mechanism. You'd have to uh, pass a law to uh, to allow the citizens the opportunity to do that. Oh, that's so frustrating. Uh, okay, so how many... What, okay, first of all, I'm on, I'm on the Indiana Dems website. It's Indem... Right? Indems... Let me find yeah. out. Yes. And... and uh, Indems.org. Indems.org. And they have information there about the work that they're doing. And also, and I know we talk about this all the time, folks, even the smallest contributions, $2, $5, $10, makes a difference. Tell folks about how this is really investing in good government. And look, it also makes for good neighbors, isn't it? Yeah, it makes for good government. It makes for good neighbors because your dollars will go right to the most important races in Indiana that can that can focus on breaking the one-party control in our state that we've seen for 20 years. You know, people are getting fed up, and we have a plan this year to compete in the most competitive districts uh, to break the Republican supermajority. And you can be a part of that by going to indems.org, uh, chipping in two, five, ten dollars, whatever you can. Hold on. I'm completing my purchase because you guys take Venmo, which helps me so much. <laughs> you know, when you go out for to eat and someone's like, here, I'll just Venmo yeah. you. I just leave it in there for moments like this where I can go, here you go. Uh, complete donation. There we go. <laughs> I love that. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, absolutely. So, d- again, you know, this is uh, what are some of the most effective ways of campaigning? I mean, we talk a lot about door knocking. That seems to be um, effective, uh, you know, when you have conversations one on one, people are surprised that a candidate or even a volunteer shows up. When you have uh, communities that are, are a little more spread apart, what, what are the best ways for you to connect with voters? Yeah, I mean, I think something that we're going to try this year is, is a little bit more relational organizing. So trying to get involved with who you know in your networks, you know, going through your contact list, going to your phone, talking to friends and family, telling them why you think personally this this election is important. Because, you know, you can reason with your friend or your family better than some stranger can at their doorstep. Um, and making those conversations, having those important conversations about how this election is about all of us and about our rights and our freedoms. Um, and we need everyone on board to stop what they're trying to do. Absolutely. Uh, and are there any conversations that kind of jump to mind that you've had with voters that uh, have they, you know, people have, you know, perhaps traditionally been more conservative or Republican when they're in this year, they're like, you know what, uh, I have to, they're letting their are people letting their guard down a little bit and being dug in ideologically. Yeah, you know, I think I think. That's unfortunately something we've seen around the country a lot is, you know, people don't, you know, there's less and less people keeping an open mind. And, um, you know, I think this year, because we're so early in the cycle, I think a lot of people still have that open mind. And and uh, we want to reach as many of those folks as possible and really make them understand that, you know, when Mitch Daniels ran for governor in 2004, he ran uh, to be the to end 16 years of Democratic administrations. And he said every 16 years, a garden needs weeding. But we've had 20 straight years of Republican administrations now, and every 20 years a garden needs weeding. And, uh, you know, Indiana, we need to shake up things at the state house. We need to shake up things in Indianapolis because 
things are working for special interests right now. You know, they're passing bills to protect utility companies. They're passing bills to take away local control on puppy mill ordinances and uh, cancel public transit projects that have already gotten hundreds of millions of dollars in, in federal funding allocated. Um, and they're not working for working people. They're working for corporate interests. Um, so that's really the message that we want to make clear this year. And we can, we can, we can stop that by just picking up four seats. Wow. See, I mean, it's manageable. It's doable, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, I think that's something that people need to be reminded of. Uh, the work has to be done. I, do you guys ever think of uh, or look to places like Michigan where they had a similar situation and the pathway that they were able to use to change things, like you know, turning them into no longer a right-to-work state, uh, protecting reproductive rights, things like that? Yeah, and it's something that we want to give Hoosiers the opportunity to do because just to say it simply, that Michigan's a great example of, of, of a neighbor that has seen a path, a trajectory towards the future now that is so bright because voters have had the opportunity to vote on public ballot initiatives. You know, that's how they, that's how they legalized marijuana in 2018. That's how they protected the right to choose in 2022. That's how they protected the right to vote in 2022 as well. So we need to come out, elect legislators, and Democrats are the legislators who will give Hoosiers the chance at the ballot box to decide on these important issues because, um, you know, our neighbors have had the opportunity to vote on it. You know, they've had the opportunity to vote directly on this issue in Ohio and Michigan and in Kentucky. Hoosiers haven't. That's got to change. How is the uh, relationship with uh, or what is the presence of union unions and, and labor organizations in Indiana? Because it is a right to work state. And I, I think I think we talked about this last time. You know, when we had Governor Rauner in office, he was trying to do the same mm-hmm. thing. And there were Republicans in our legislature. You know, I, I pointed to Indiana and said, look, their CEOs are making 275 times. And the number has probably gone up since 2015 of what their average workers are making. And they're response was, well, you know, at least it's a job, as though we're supposed to just, you know, have no respect, dignity, safety in the workplace or bargaining rights or all the things. So what? how is labor uh, responding in Indiana? Yeah, absolutely. You know, labor um, has been some of the targets of this Republican supermajority on some of the things that they've done, taking away the right to work, of course, in 2012, and also um, what they did, uh, uh, the things that they've been trying to do to uh, Ban cities from instituting uh, project labor agreements with uh, with organize that 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 labor that comes to work on projects has to have certain uh, standards. You know that, that you know, the same standards that unions would be able to meet. And um, you know unions have been attacked by this legislator for a long time, and they've been on the decline in Indiana since the 70s and 80s, like much of the country. But we're starting to see a resurgence in unions like we are in elsewhere of the country because people are getting tired of working for lower wages and working for longer hours and uh, knowing that the way to fight back is, is, is coming together. So we want to promise in Indiana where, where everyone has the chance to join a union and everyone has the chance to, uh, to find a good paying job that actually pays high, higher wages. Amen to that. Uh, I know that if you get a chance, uh, you should. Uh, there's there's a couple of uh, social media accounts. If you're not following Heartland Signal, we also catch a lot of stories. Of uh, yeah, and <laughs> did you have you seen? Uh, and then I think it's a more perfect union, which is a uh, uh, union organization, mm-hmm. and they highlight stories all over the country. I'm watching what's going on in Florida. Where and you, oh, I'm sorry, you guys, Indiana's proposing this too with uh, child labor laws, with uh, yeah. uh, through just through eighth grade, and then as long as they're going to work for a a corporate farm, they can, they don't have to go to school anymore. What the, what, what, 
Is that how far how far along is that legislation? Yeah, I mean that legislation has unfortunately um you know, already passed one house. I, I, I believe it's very close to the governor's desk. Oh my and, god. Um and you know, unfortunately there was a piece of legislation, a similar piece of there's two child uh child labor bills. I don't exactly know hundred percent the specifics, but I know that one of them was was uh, launched in the Senate and one of them was launched from the House. So they basically tried this as like an effort that, to try to get one of these bills past the finish line. And um, and it, it, it breaks federal law. You know, federal law, I believe, uh, only allows workers to work, uh, only allows children under uh, 16, I believe, to work 20 hours a week on school nights. Um, and I believe this would increase it to 28 hours a week. Uh, I know that it is in violation of federal law, this, this law that they're trying to pass, which is just not good public policy. One, like even if, even if you think this is a good idea, well, breaking federal law is going to get the suit is going to get the state into costly litigation. That's going to cost taxpayers millions of dollars for no reason at all. So we know what federal law says. Wow. I also uh, did. I, I've been talking to folks about, you know, we mentioned how important it is to elect your legislators at the state level to reflect what you believe should exist in your communities. A lot of people in, in places like Indiana, Iowa, Missouri, uh, you know, think that the, the president has something to do. Not, I mean, because they talk about the economy. We've talked a lot about inflation and price gouging. And, uh, it, you know, but when it comes down to it, I, I realize that a lot of folks in, in states like yours don't realize that the minimum wage is maintained by your state legislature and you guys are still at seven dollars and 25 cents an hour what yeah what the hell yeah and the only and the only legislators in our in our state house that have that have even proposed uh, raising it have been democrats because the republican party in indiana doesn't take it seriously uh, we need to raise the minimum wage from yeah. 25 in Indiana. We should have done it a decade ago. Yeah. And uh, here we are sitting on our hands, allowing workers to be working for less. You know, Hoosiers make thousands less than their neighbors make. And, the, you know, the average Hoosier make thousands less than the average, uh, you know, in, in Ohio and Illinois and Michigan. Um, and we really need that to change. Uh, and the current policies that we're seeing from the supermajority have us going in the wrong direction. You know, they're attacking unions. They're attacking educators. What does that mean? Well, it means we have a shortage for good-paying jobs. We have a shortage in nurses. We have a shortage of teachers. Why do Why do we think we have things? It's because of the public policies that we that we've chosen here in Indiana. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, uh, if you get a chance, Sam, there's another great uh, organization that we work with, uh, Union Proud Warrior. You can go to unionproudwarrior.com and they're national as well, uh, trying to uh, guide people who, uh, again, want to, want to be able to, to organize. And uh, and any, yeah. any workplace should be able to organize. Where is Indiana on uh, abortion rights and, and women's reproductive health? Yeah, so Indiana was the first state after the fall of Roe v. Wade, after the Dobbs decision to uh, to pass uh, uh, a statewide abortion ban. So some other states in the South had had trigger laws that went into effect, of course, right when the decision took down. But Indiana was the first to pass something legislatively after the decision. And, um, and you know, women in our state now, uh, you know, have less options. You know, I read something the other day that since this abortion ban, there's been over 1,000 uh, uh, rape-related pregnancies in the state of Indiana since the abortion ban took effect. Um, and since the abortion ban took effect, the final court order on it was this August. Uh, there's been only, I don't have the exact number on hand, but around about 50 abortions that have, that have taken place in the state of Indiana since that amount. So fathers are being able to, you know, pick, 
pick the mother of their child. Uh, you know, rapists are being able to pick the mother of their child, and 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 um, and we've really gone backwards, and we need to restore the right to choose for Hoosier women. Uh, and by breaking the supermajority, we can we can get a step closer to doing that. Oh, that is horrifying. Okay, uh, we, I, I every time I hear the the stats, the numbers of in uh, comments like you know men can choose uh, to, to who to impregnate, and, and people don't believe it. Uh, it's it's a hard conversation to have, folks, but it is happening. And and beyond that, you know, one people always talk Sam about how uh, well, you know, of course I believe in exceptions, and they really don't do that because they don't believe in it for medically. We see what's happening in Texas, and if you're saying there's only fifty, uh, you know, that means that there are women who have been suffering. There's so much mm-hmm. stigma attached to even coming forward, uh, and then when it comes to a health situation, um, not everybody has the wherewithal to jump in front of you know get a camera crew and say. You know, I, I almost died yeah. because the state of Indiana wouldn't let me have a medical procedure, right? Yeah, I mean, there's probably only two abortion doctors left in the entire state of Indiana. Oh my God. One, of them doctor, one of them, Dr. Caitlin Bernard, is being constantly attacked by our attorney general. You know, she was the one who uh, who gave the life-saving care to a 10-year-old child who came over from Ohio yep. um, because she couldn't receive care, and the attorney general attacked her of you know, trying to, you know, play politics or whatever when he's the one playing politics. And now he's got his law license being threatened because he obviously did something wrong threatening this doctor before any facts had been laid out, you know. So we want to, you know, Tata Rafita is up for re-election this year, and we cannot have an attorney general that is actively investigating doctors that have done nothing wrong in our state that are just providing health care. Um, because it's going to, I mean, we, it's pushing doctors from our state. We have a nursing shortage. Rural health care facilities are closing down in our state. Um, you know, we need, to, we need to get on a different course. We need to shake things up. Yeah, people don't realize how much the, how much of a, the impact is that uh, spreads out and it affects us in, in ways that, uh, I, you know, you hate saying unintended consequences, but it seems like these are intended consequences because there are deserts. There are hospital deserts, folks, or, where maternal care, because so many doctors are being driven out and afraid to, to you know, of how, what they're supposed to, what they can and can't do. It can take, a, I think I've read somewhere, Sam, that it takes some women who are just seeking maternal health care an hour to an hour and a half two hours to get someplace for attention it's crazy yeah and 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 yeah it's absolutely crazy and then you think about you know there's many counties in our state now where there is no obgyn care you know and and uh, you know you have to go to larger urban centers uh to get the care that people need um you know it's not affordable it's not accessible um and then we're just you know, it's it's been this way. It hasn't been affordable. It hasn't been accessible for too many Hoosiers for a long time. And we're just making it actively harder. The Republican legislator is making it actively harder by doing these things, by pushing doctors from our state. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's just it, it's, it's a scary thing. It really is. And I'm grateful to you and all the, the folks that continue to do the hard work of uh, getting voters uh, involved. Uh, you know, it, it is it's it is. Not easy, <laughs> the work that you guys have to do. Uh, how do you manage, uh, you know, maintaining your emotional health? What What do you do to make sure that uh, you know you get up every day and, and keep showing up? Sometimes in places where people don't want you. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I I, I like to check in with my family a lot and and, and talk with uh, with with folks around, and um, also just you know sometimes sometimes for an hour or two, you know, on a uh, you know just trying to 
you know, get myself away from everything and just having some time for myself, you know, cause you got to recharge and you got to be able to stay in this fight through November. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a long bruising battle. It really is. Well, we're here uh, for conversation to amplify your message, to lend support wherever we can. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're trying to pace ourselves, too. But again, uh, you know, this is uh, highlighting the races and places uh, like Indiana uh, is really important to us. So please don't hesitate to reach out if there's anything you want us to know about. Uh, is there any I know that you guys are sending some delegates, uh, sending folks to the convention here and you have an event coming up as well over the summer. Uh, tell us a little bit about that before we go. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we, we have our state convention coming up uh, this this summer. Uh, we're delegates of the state convention. We'll, we'll pick um, our candidate for attorney general and our candidate for lieutenant governor. Um, so if you're in Indiana and you're interested in uh, being a state delegate, there's probably openings in your county. Ooh. If you sign up on our website, we would probably, you know, be able to connect you with your county chair to have discussions about, you know, being a delegate attending convention in Indianapolis. Because um, we really want to grow our party and have more people involved. But really, just go to indems.org. Um, if you're in Indiana, look around the site. Even if you're not and you want to pitch in a couple dollars, uh, we'd greatly appreciate that. Please do, folks. Help them out in Indiana. Uh, we, we need them. We need to get a little more even keel, a little balance uh, with our neighbors. So thank you so much, Sam. We appreciate all your hard work. And like I said, don't hesitate to reach out any, any, for anything, okay? And we'll, we'll, we definitely want to catch up with you again soon. Yeah, sounds good. I look forward to being on soon. And Take care, Patty. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Be well. Again, indems.org, folks. That's Sam Barlogo with the, com- the Communications Director for the Indiana Dems. Have a great evening. Take care. And uh, tell everyone we're grateful for the work that you all do. I will. I will. Thanks, Patty. Appreciate it. Let's uh, take a break. Here when we come back, we'll talk to Sean Walker of the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee of Chicago and our friend D- David, who's uh, in, oh, I think we have a different, a different, uh, a different individual we're going to talk to out of Minneapolis-St. Paul. So let's take a break here. And uh, when we come back, we'll continue our conversation. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. Thank you so much for joining us as we drive it home. And again, of course, we want to say hi to our friends in Minneapolis, St. Paul, listening on KTNF 950 AM. We are talking to our friends from Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee. Is that right? Or yes. Incarcerated Workers. Sean in studio, and, he, and he's told me that we have a guest on the phone. We, we changed guests. So we have Matthew Emerson on the line. If you want to introduce Matthew and their role in uh, Incarcerated Workers. Well, Matthew and I have only just met. Oh, um, hi. And <laughs> We're all meeting each other at the same yes, time? Yes, exactly. Okay. Uh, but uh, I think he can most likely do a far better job of introducing himself than I can. Well, for, well Matthew, uh, tell us a little bit about the work you do with incarcerated workers. Oh, sure. Yeah, so um, I've been directing uh, content strategy for about six years for the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee up here in Twin Cities. Um Definitely navigated a few challenges uh, back in 2020 <laughs> um, and beyond. Um, we uh, let's see, myself personally, um, yeah, uh, organizing uh, actions against the system and uh, just bringing voice to the people that need a change in their lives and aren't able to voice that concern themselves, really. And, and Sean, let me ask you first, because we talked a little bit before we started, and you, you grew up in Aurora. Yeah. What led you to want to fight for the rights of incarcerated, in, in particular when it comes to prison labor and prison slavery, really? Well... When I was eight or so, they taught us about uh, chattel slavery, and um, I told myself as an eight-year-old, if something like this ever happened, I would never let this happen. And now that I'm older, I realize it is happening. It's Mm -hmm. continuing to happen, and so... um, 
Here I am. And it's a long-standing history of, uh, of, of this practice. Uh, for I mean, I have a friend who wrote a book. Uh, my, I'm, try, I'm trying to pick up the... Uh, uh, my friend Henry Camerling wrote a book about the uh, post-Civil War uh, chain gangs. And we know we see, we've seen these in movies and things mm-hmm. like that. But Matthew, tell us a little bit about your, how you got involved and, and what people should know about uh, incarcerated workers. Oh, I love that question. <laughs> um, well, so... Uh, so I was incarcerated um, for three years. Uh, I was sentenced to uh, nine and a half years for a drug crime. Um, and then through that process, um, I ended up being released uh, through early release three years early. Um, or I did a total of three years. Uh, and so in that process, uh, inside prison, I came in with 12 college credits. I came out with 87. I facilitated 114 father support groups. Um, and got really connected to administration and understanding from the inside, like how can we really like do things uh, positively for prisoners. Um, and through that work, uh, there was a prison administrator uh, who was a prisoner who helped administrate inside prison for 22 years. He connected me with uh, some of our colleagues at uh, Twin Cities I Walk, and so I walked in there. I was like, "How can I help?" And they were like, "We want to change the system." And so uh, that's how I got involved, really. Wow, it's uh, it is quite the the, the experience because I think that you know people have this idea that well you know the people you know if you've done the crime you know do the time and you deserve it and there is that attitude isn't there Matthew? Yeah, yeah, and I mean that couldn't be any more farther from the truth. I mean if you look at the population, um, it's 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 a tragedy uh, if you've never had a family member incarcerated or a loved one. Um, you just don't know. Um, and then even to take it a step further, if you're a loved one of somebody that's incarcerated, you just don't know about how challenging it is to be stuck in a, in a, in a steel cage or, um, or inside a, a cinder block, uh, four by eight square, um, for extended periods of time. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's horrible. Um, and so it's just such a privilege to connect with folks, um, like Sean and and our folks up in Minneapolis, um, just to bring voices. I think about, we had this, uh, during COVID, they switched, uh, the diabetes medication instead of three shots a day down to two large ones. Oh my God. It was causing causing medical issues inside the facility. Right. And so, uh, so we got a hold of the administration and they were like, well, we had no idea about this. And so we got the problem solved. And it was just amazing to, to have a group of people on the outside that care about prisoners uh, to come in and advocate for, for simple changes like that. But then on top of that, um, the, the larger scale changes at the same time, which is, hey, like, there's a there's a part of the Constitution that still permits slavery. Like, how do how do how do we not know about this until we go to jail? We're like, wait, I'm a slave now. <laughs> like, yes. that's literally what it is. Yeah, Sean, I don't know. Did you know this before you started doing this work that the Thirteenth Amendment, while we all know that it abolished slavery, unless it's a punishment for a crime? Did you know that? Prior to, to your work with the incarcerated workers? I did, yeah. I had been organizing for a few years before I started doing prisoner solidarity work. So I was I was around a lot of people who um, who had been incarcerated. Um, and uh, so I, I knew a few things about the system, and I knew, you know, I, I can't remember whose quote this is, so I don't want to misattribute it, but someone said, you can tell a lot about the state of a country by the way that it treats its prisoners. Okay. Um, and prisoners are the most isolated 
people in this, probably on the planet, um, and not by choice at all. Um, and in, I don't, I don't want to speak to other places, but in Illinois, at least, the amount of medical neglect um, that these people are facing is. Uh, it's torture, number one, um, and it's deadly. Um, even treatment for cancer, uh, they will delay this. Um, we have one member who found out uh, about two years ago that he had stage four cancer, and he has not had any treatment yet. Mm. That's horrifying. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. and, and Matthew, the thing is that, you know, uh, the... The intention or what I think, you know, people, you know, you throw around the word like rehabilitation. Uh, I, I don't know how you break somebody down and demoralize them, take advantage of them, make money off their backs and expect anyone to come out and go, OK, I feel, I'm, 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 a, I'm a better person. Like, I'd be angry when I came out. I don't, I don't know how I don't know how it's a rehabilitative. Yeah, yeah. Um, unless if you fall into a Stockholm syndrome, that's pretty much the outcome every time. Wow. <laughs> Wow! Yeah, I, I would. I would imagine. I would imagine that. I think Matthew's, you know, your ability to get college credits. I mean, that's exceptional. Uh, most people do not have that uh, opportunity at all when they're incarcerated. And in fact, um, people who are severely mentally ill inside of you know Illinois prisons, most of them are sent to uh, Dixon Correctional Center, and they're put into the X House. And this was this is a prison that was constructed in like early 1900s um, and it, the staff and the entire Department of Corrections has known this entire time that they don't have the capacity to treat any of these people um, and these are the m- most mentally ill prisoners uh, male prisoners uh, in, in, in the state and yet they are in their cells for 23 and a half hours a day most of them have not seen the sunlight, and in, in they don't they don't see the sunlight. They went six months at one point without being let out to yard, mm. and when they are let out to the yard, they're let out in these cages that have open tops, they're the size of porta potties. Wow! And they cannot use the bathroom. They cannot get a drink. Uh, there is so much uh, like goose feces on the ground mm-hmm. that they cannot sit down. Well, um, and they are given no objects. They don't have anything to read. They cannot bring uh, writing materials. And so, again, these are people who are the most severely mentally ill, getting zero treatment, only torture. And so, horrible things start happening. Uh, the only thing, the only means of communication is physical and sometimes feces is thrown urine is thrown so why in the world would anyone want to go outside right you wouldn't no so now you have health issues because you don't get any sunlight Uh, but do you think that they're checking for the vitamin d levels of these prisoners they're not matthew how much of a uh uh I don't even know how to put this because it seems, what I'm saying is it seems daunting to take on this system and the way things are, but it has to be done. So I, I guess the question is, that what, first of all, what can we do to help? Well, so that's exactly what I was thinking as I was listening to Sean. Um, so the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee is a great place to land because we're a group of community members that discuss 
just these issues exactly and then find ways to appropriately share them with the community. Um, whether that's like, hey, we need to call the warden today and we need to tell him to end this now. Or whether that's, um, you know, we've called the warden, we've called everybody, nobody's listening. Let's get out in the streets and let's 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 go for a walk in front of the governor's mansion and, and hold a press conference. I mean, these are super simple things that people in the community can involve themselves in that can bring about real change. Because a lot of times, if nobody notices that something is happening, nobody does anything about it. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm a part of the Incarcerate Workers Organizing Committee today. Again, we're talking to uh, Matthew Emerson, and we're, we're talking to Matthew Emerson and Sean Walker of Incarcerator Workers Committee. Uh, and we, we invite you to go to incarceratorworkers.org to learn more, because this is a you know we mentioned that uh, Sean, we mentioned that that uh, there are corporations that are making money off of uh, prisoners' backs. I didn't realize like the extent to which uh, I mean like sp- like high tech, uh, you know, whether it's uh, what is it, Sprint, Verizon, uh, having folks work, and uh, are they making, are they given any sort of resources in exchange for this, or just I a, think a pittance? Just a few pennies yeah. on the dollar, um, and I'm not sure if they're getting any good time back for doing this. Because it's still in the 13th Amendment, so there's nothing, it sounds as though there, this is something that has to change in our Constitution as well, right, Matthew? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would, I would love to wave a wand and change the Constitution tomorrow. Um, here I am. I mean, I haven't uh, committed a crime in over 10 years. I haven't been incarcerated in over six years. But yet still technically in the federal government's eyes, I'm a slave. I can't have life insurance. There's so many things that I'm limited to by my lived experience. Um, and there's no qualified class. I can't qualify for 55-plus housing. There's many things, I mean, which is why I personally, um, you know, have used education and things like that to get to the level where I can ask the system for a pardon. But I have to go that far, which is insane, right? Who even knows what a pardon is or how to do it, right? But I have to go that far to regain my base constitutional rights after I've committed a crime 10 years ago that was a non-violent offense like and it's just such a hard life um in some ways through that lens folks you can join you can join this organization incarceratedworkers.org there's a way to become a member uh if you know yeah and here's the thing you don't have to be uh i know there are folks who shut down emotionally and go it's not my problem it it, it's it's it affects everybody guys it affects everybody uh because you know when we talk about about what's going on in our communities, uh, what does it mean to, to be able to, to rehabilitate or to have, uh, you know, the way we deliver justice? Um, I've talked about this a lot before. I'm, I'm against the death penalty. Uh, and my and, and, and as somebody who is a homicide survivor, I didn't even know that that was a phrase that was until a few years ago. My brother was murdered and his murderer was executed and it didn't change anything in my family's life. Uh, it, it, and it, it is. Yeah. I mean, and that's why I, I, I've found myself getting into arguments with people I've known for a long time when they would just assume that people who have, uh, uh, you know, uh, done their time basically disappear. Be inv- they, don't, they don't want you to be a part of society again. And that makes me absolutely crazy. What's the point then? Yeah, I don't I don't think prisons should even exist at all. Um, I think that uh, it's. It's only been around for, what, 200 years, prisons, and it was a f- reform to begin with from not just murdering people. Um, 
And there are just so many other ways that we can, you know, rehabilitate and find justice and find reconciliation that don't involve severe psychological torture yeah. and imprisonment and, and treatment and there is treatment too because so much of it is mental illness i you know if some folks know i i to this day believe that had my brother's murderer been uh treated better as a child or anywhere along his life I and mean, that's what we talk about here in chicago it's like if, if you starve people from options they will choose a different economy for themselves or a different way of of, uh, of functioning in the society um let me take a break matthew do you mind holding on uh sean do you mind hanging out for a break while I, we come back and continue our conversation. Sound good, Matthew? Yeah. I got a a nod from Sean in the studio. (laughs) More after this, folks. If you want to join the conversation, if you have any questions or comments, 773-763-9278. That's the number to call or text and join the conversation. More in a moment on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal and KTNF in Minneapolis, St. Paul, 950 AM. More after this. I'm Kirk Bankstead from the Monaco Brewing Company, and I sell Choice Hard Seltzer, an all-natural grapefruit and lime-flavored booze that you can enjoy for only 100 calories a can. A percentage of the proceeds of each can sold goes to reproductive rights groups in the Chicagoland area. Enjoy a light, refreshing hard seltzer and support reproductive freedom at the same time. Now available at Provisions Uptown Chicago and R&J Wine and Spirits in Glenview, as well as Eastside Cafe, Coffee and Wine Bar in East Dundee, where Kate is serving up smiles and drink responsibly. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. I am in studio with uh, our friend from, uh, one of our friends from the incar- for, from Incarcerated Workers. You can go to incarceratedworkers.org. In studio we have Sean Walker and uh, on the line we have Matthew Emerson. Uh, are you in, you're in, Minnesota, you're in Minnesota, Sean, uh, Matt? Yes. And uh, so what what reaction do you get from folks? I mean, like, you know, this is something where I, I imagine there are a lot of folks like Sean who maybe at a young age it spoke to them. And, and, and Sean is clearly somebody who is active in organizing and drawing attention to important issues. Uh, this is something that you, as, as someone who's been incarcerated, have the, the lived experience of. What is it like for you when you talk to folks, who, you know, what kind of outreach do you have with people who maybe don't have a personal experience uh, with incarceration? Well, you know, I, I I walk up to every single one of them the same way I'd walk up to either one of you guys, uh, gals or guys, um, and I just I, I just try and be human with yeah. them, um, and it goes a long way. I have uh, I've I've worked with you know religious leaders of many different uh, faith backgrounds. I've I've worked with a lot of grandmas. Um, a lot of it is education. I mean. The most common person that's never heard of jail before is the mom or the grandma that's asking me about their kid on their way out of prison. And so Mm. it's really easy to just kind of provide facts that will kind of help them through their journey. Um, So that's like my most common communication. Um, But talking to people on the street, I mean, um, I mean, a lot of it has to do with like morals and values and, you know, how you want to really impact the world. Um, I love our organization's abolition spirit um, because it's a, it's a, it's a shared value, right? Like everyone needs to be free. It's very simple. We shouldn't be uh, having wars. Uh, We're as a, as a nation, as a globe, like 
we're smart enough to not do this stuff anymore. Conflict resolution gets so much farther than a day in jail. It's unbelievable. I, uh, so anyway, I, I, I don't want to... You hit the nail on the head for me. We're smarter than this. Uh, Sean and I are in studio nodding. Uh, you know, because so much is cloaked in religion and using that as a reason. Like, you know, well, the Bible says this and the Bible says that. And it's like, that's if that's what the Bible says to you. <laughs> that's, that's, that, that reminds me... That reminds me of the parole board director I called in, in Alabama, or no, in, in Atlanta, Georgia. And he goes, well, down here, we rec- uh, all of our laws are based off the seven deadly sins. And I'm like, uh, there's more religions than just one in America, respectfully. Yes. <laughs> and the seven deadly sins are not in the Bible. Oh, I'm going to say I don't know the Bible. Not even in the Bible, That's y'all. interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so, hold on a second. Now I need to find the source for the seven deadly sins. But that right, is, right, right. yeah, and that's so much. I think that's where I come from is that we're smarter than this, than what we're doing to harm people, uh, for people who believe in freedoms. And uh, and I just, it, it's not very it's not very Christ-like if people use the Bible that way or whatever, uh, you know, f- belief system that you are operating on. It's 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 a lot to take on, isn't it, Sean? I mean, I thought Christ was supposed to liberate the dead. That was his whole goal as a human being was for him to free the people in hell. Right. Um, so if you want to be Christ-like, be a prison abolitionist. There you go. <laughs> Boom. So she, true. He just, he did, Sean just dropped his mic. He's like, there it is. <laughs> no, but really, I mean, we've been humans for what, 100,000 years? And it's only in the past maybe 20,000 that that we've started believing that humans are inherently evil or something. But before that, we were living in harmony with the earth. I don't know about that. I mean, I, if you ever, no? I've been to Mexico City and they use skulls uh, as part of the like, building. I mean, what I'm saying is we have always found ways to hurt each other. Uh, we have always found ways to hurt each other. Like, I mean, out of, okay. <laughs> we've always hurt we've each other, but, but no, it's but not it, an inherent... It's, but it's the state-driven form uh, yeah. that we're talking about. Like, sure. And, yeah. and, and I think, Matthew, you, you were mentioning, unless you have uh, Stockholm Syndrome, as far as your experience in prison, uh, you know, as to how you, uh, you, you weather it. Um, there, I think they've done studies on this, how people fall into this sort of psychological, like if, if they like play as uh, prisoners or as they play as guards, how much more, like as guards, they really think that they have the right to treat people badly. Have you, I don't know if you've seen any of that, Matthew. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, that just, uh, it, it triggers a lot of um, problematic diversity-related issues from my lived experience. Um, yeah. I just, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, the, re- the reaction, um, I, I don't know. I mean, when we're talking through an anthropological lens, um, I, yeah, I, I definitely support that perspective of like, oh, if I have a suit on, and I can tell people what to do. I need to tell people what to do. Right. Um, and it has uniform. a lot to right. do with. Yeah. It has a lot to do with the marketing. Uh, whether you're marketing somebody into the uniform or into the, the prison jumpsuit. Yeah. I feel like I need to have a conversation. I need to invite you both back on again because I have a friend who's a former uh, prison guard who uh, has a really uh, fascinating perspective and is very, uh, you know. Uh, a, 
honest about how horrible it is for inmates. And I have friends who've worked, you know, I know that on the website for incarcerated workers, you can go to incarceratedworkers.org. Uh, one of the big things, obviously, we drove down for the protests at Cook County when they weren't allowing people during COVID-19 to have access to just safety in general. Mm-hmm. And prison guards were dying from COVID-19 because they they just there was a lack of sense, uh, no urgency for mm-hmm. making sure that, that uh, people who were at, at uh, 26 in California were safe. I mean, yeah, it's still uh, nothing really changed, unfortunately. Um, everything just kind of kept on going in the same horrible way that it was. Matthew, uh, what what do you see as far as the most effective ways for us to communicate? I mean, I know that you mentioned that you, do, you work with religious leaders. Uh, yeah, I guess having these conversations and, and just, I think, elevating this. We have a, a friend named Todd Belcor who works with uh, expunging records and things like that. What else, what are some of the most effective things that you've, aside, in addition to telling your personal story, what seems to resonate with people? Um, well... Resonation. So, so one is uh, solutions. So, like I, I focus mainly on solution-driven um, uh, uh, answers to this crisis. I, I think of like, well, there is a system. Um, I don't believe, uh, no matter how much we try and just tear the whole thing down and start over immediately, I don't believe that that's going to happen. And so, I try and find. Uh, specific areas that are that are important, and I try and uh, try and work in those silos the best that we can um, to create as much change as possible. Um, and so, as we look at this, I think an example is like, for example, um, we c- we can really take the prison system and and make it something that is much more communal rather than. Um, like a single family owning every vending machine in the state of Illinois and profiting off of it. Yeah. Why don't we look at like a more statewide communal way um, to change that process, right? Um, and a lot of them are, are, are founded in a good old boy uh, uh, nihilist or nepotism uh, system. Um, and, and those structures are really what I've been looking at and identifying how can we change this um, and at the same time, look, I, I've been looking towards reentry and recidivism. Um, and recidivism is like reducing uh, the percentage of people that would go back to jail after they've gotten out. Uh, that's where I focus most of my work these days. And I find that if they have somebody um, like myself in their corner, um, that's going to be honest with them about what they need to start over in life. Um, those things really can lead to uh, people not getting left behind, um, left left to, to, to go back to previous behaviors. Right. Um, and that's a really important concept as we're, we're looking at, you know, how to address these things beyond our organizing, which is bringing a voice of change um, to things that we see that are problems. Well, I so I'm grateful for your insight, and uh, I look forward to having you both on again. I, I have to close out the show. Sean Walker and Matthew Emerson from Incarcerated Workers. Go to incarceratedworkers.org.